Good morning, Victory family and friends. This is the day that the Lord has made. We rejoice and we are glad in it. My name is Paul. I'm privileged to serve as pastor of Victory Church of Charlottesville, where we exist to see people reconcile to God and to each other. We are an imperfect people, serving a perfect God, endeavoring every single day just to get to know him better through his word. Uh, some things we understand, some, some things we don't understand, but every day we get to submit our will to his in exchange for his will for our life. And we're grateful for that every single day. And so wherever you are from, however you are joining us today, uh, whether you're a Christian, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're you're wondering about faith and have questions, or maybe you're angry with God or happy with God, or you're on the mountaintop, you're in the valley, wherever you find yourself, thank you for tuning in today. Uh, we are just grateful that you chose to join us today in worship. The month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And so today we're kicking off a new sermon series entitled Mental Health Matters. And we'll be looking at 1 Kings chapter 19 today. And in upcoming weeks, of course, we'll look at some other texts. And I should probably give you a heads up that, that the message today isn't uh, one that, that may or it may not be one that, that has you want to jump and, and run around the couch or do some cartwheels on the sidewalk. Uh, though, of course, there's always a reason to run and jump and do cartwheels on the sidewalk or backflips over the couch or whatever, because he is still risen and he is always worthy to be praised. And uh, the message today is is prayerfully uh, going to help us to appreciate even more the realities of the challenges associated with mental illness, uh, as well as the reality of, of God's uh, presence with and love for us in the midst of such challenges. And so again, we're going to look at 1 Kings, which is in the Older Testament. We're going to look at verses 3 through 6. But before we read, let's just pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Uh, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears. Uh, please soften our hearts to hear what you have to say to us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. First uh, Kings chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. It reads this way. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Title of the message uh, this morning is The Struggle is Real. The struggle is real. Um, and there are three points I really want to highlight uh, today from this text. The first is forgetfulness facilitates fear. The second is solitude sets up suicidality. And thirdly, God shows up to shake up. Who is who is this guy, Elijah? Who is he? Uh, he's known as Elijah the Tishbite. Because he's from a town called Tishba, which is in uh, in Gilead, and 
he, he's actually an Hebrew prophet, and his name literally means Yahweh is my God. And so this Hebrew prophet, his, his prophetic career, if you will, in the northern king, uh, northern kingdom of Israel is told in 1 Kings chapter 17 through 19, and then again in uh, 2 Kings chapters 1 and 2. And he comes on the scene in chapter 17 of 1 Kings by telling King Ahab that there's going to be a drought. Prophets speak the mind of God. They bring warning. They bring encouragement or hope, whatever the truth is of God. They are there to speak it. And the truth in this case was King Ahab, there's going to be a drought. Uh, and in many ways, it was punishment for the, the, the altars that King Ahab and his wife Jezebel had set up to worship Baal. And so this drought was predicted. It was prophesied by Elijah and in days to come, that drought would in fact happen. That was Elijah, the prophet obedient to the Lord, uh, serving as unto the Lord, speaking what he believed the Lord was giving him to speak. After that moment of, of kind of being introduced, if you will, to uh, <clears throat> to the book of First Kings and to us, uh, he then goes on to meet this widow, a poor widow who literally was on her last dime. She even said to him, I am going to prepare this last meal for me and my son so I can go home, eat it with him, and we can both die. And he says to her, before you do that, can you bring me some water? And can you uh, also, can you bring me some bread too? <laughs> I'm pausing there a little bit because when I read that, I, and I imagine you too could think of some folks who aren't representing God, but who say some things like that, that just make you kind of pause. You know, like, <laughs> and this is a somewhat of a sidebar. This is not the main point of, of the message, but you know, you have high school, college friends or family members, maybe folks in your house who uh, you might have like one Dorito left and they're like, can we split it? <laughs> or, or uh, you know, in this pandemic, we're, we're all shopping for similar things. So maybe toilet paper, you're on your last roll and they're like, but it's a two ply. We can work it out. <laughs> um, or they've, they've, I don't know, bought a thousand inch screen TV and they're calling you up to get your Netflix username and password, whatever it is, kind of gives you pause. And you're like, wait, I don't know about that, bro, you know, or, or sister like that. Are you serious? <laughs> really? Did you just ask me that? It's kind of like what Elijah is asking, though he, unlike our friends and family, are, 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 in some cases, uh, he's representing the Lord here. And he even said to her, listen, before you make that meal for your son and you, Go make me a meal. Give me some water and some bread. And here's what the Lord's going to do. He is going to deliver Wegmans to your house. He says the jar of flour is not going to run dry. The jug of oil is not going to run dry. Just go and prepare me a little something first. She believes, goes ahead and prepares. And what do you know? Word comes to pass. Costco shows up at her house in the middle of a drought, mind you. That's the prophet Elijah. And then sometime later, her son uh, gets ill. He, he, he actually dies. Elijah goes, lays prostrate over her son, breathes the breath of God into him. Her son is raised to life. That's Elijah that we're talking about today. An obedient servant of God who was privileged to steward the power of God in the earth. And finally, in, in chapter 18 of 1 Kings uh Elijah, who again, his name means Yahweh is my God. He said to the prophets of Baal, listen, enough is enough. 
you know, meet me at Mount Carmel. We're going to have a little showdown. We're going to finally know who is the real God. He says, get two bowls, one for me, one for you. Get some altars together here. Okay. And, and we're not going to uh, 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 light any fires under them. We're just going to worship. And the God who answers by fire is the real God. They said, okay, we agree to that. We'll, we'll see you there. They get the two bulls. They show up. There are the two altars. Elijah says, okay, you first. Prophets of Baal begin to worship. Nothing happens. They start dancing. Crickets. And then Elijah, who I like to think of as the original trash talker, said, well, maybe you're not shouting loud enough. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping. You got to shout a little louder so you can wake him up. Literally, in chapter 18, he is talking trash to them in this way. And sure enough, they start shouting louder. They start cutting themselves and blood begins to flow, which is a part of their custom. And still, no fire. Elijah says, you know what? Enough is enough. My turn. He's dug a trench around the altar. He has stones uh, representative of the 12 tribes of Israel all around it. But he says, but before we start, can y'all get me some water and just pour some water in this trench around this altar? They do that. And he says, okay, can we do that a second time? They do it a second time. He does it. He asks them to do it a third time. Mind you, this is the most precious commodity right now. There is a drought and he's asking them to get the most scarce commodity and pour it, seemingly waste it, if you will, in this trench. Does that sound familiar? Another side point. Feel like ever God comes to you at your point of depletion, whatever that is, and he says, give me some. Give me some of that. What's most precious out of your time, your talent, your treasure? Bring it to me and watch what I'll do. Elijah says, get some water. Do it three times. They did it three times. And then he says, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God, show yourself strong. He begins to worship and scripture says, fire fell from heaven. It consumed uh, the 12 stones he put out. It consumed the wood at the altar. It consumed the soil. It even licked up all the water, which at that point was like a big pool. It said it licked it all up. Clearly, Elijah won this showdown. And his God, our God, is the true God. Talk about swag. This is the prophet Elijah. He had some swag. He was a bad man. Now I'm watching the MJ documentary as of late. Anybody watching it? You'll see it tonight. Um, and, and I love it because I, those, that was my time. The 90s, Chicago Bulls. I mean, we tried to chew our gum like MJ. Anybody? Right? We tried to get the walk down like MJ. Certainly we tried to play like MJ. They had some swag the Chicago Bulls did in the 90s that was enviable. And yet even their swag holds no candle to the swag of the prophet Elijah. Anybody who can who can drop off Sam's Club into somebody's living room in the middle of a drought, see somebody raised from the dead and see fire fall from heaven, that's a bad man. And then though, we see Jezebel show up in chapter 19. And I'm gonna read verses one and two, which we, which we didn't read earlier today. Jezebel shows up and, and it says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elisha, or sorry, Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make 
your life like that of one of them. And then verse three says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. What in the world happened? What happened? How did he go from, from that fire falling from heaven, death being raised to life, to this, getting a message from somebody and running because he is afraid? How do you and me, how do we go from that to this? How do we go from, from, from confidence to feeling worthless? How do we go from faith to fear? How does that happen? We don't know any clinical diagnosis of Elijah. We are talking about mental health this month. We, we don't have a clinical diagnosis, and, and to that end, the Bible doesn't explicitly speak of mental illness uh, in, in terms that we might use to define it in, in our times, in modern times today. It doesn't, though it does speak of mental and emotional anguish. We can read Job or even the lament of the Psalms and how we can view and respond to uh, the battles within our mind. But there's no clinical diagnosis. There, uh, I imagine, are a variety of reasons for which Elijah, in this case, had such fear that he'd run. And I'm convinced that one uh, of those reasons for him and for us is forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. Which brings us to the first point I want to emphasize. Forgetfulness facilitates fear. Here this guy saw fire fall from heaven. And now he is getting a message from Jezebel and running? How? If he could recall with any degree of clarity how God had worked in and through him up to this point, a message from Jezebel is no concern. No concern. But can't you and me, can't we all relate on some level? Do we not at times forget that Jesus Christ encountered, endured, and overcame way more than we ever will here in earth? When we do forget, fear creeps in. When we forget that literally at his word, creation came to be. When we forget that the blind were given their vision, the lame were able to walk, the lepers we're healed. When we forget who he is, fear can then creep in. When we forget where he's brought us from, what he's brought us through. When we forget fear, no doubt creeps in. Forgetfulness facilitates fear. And two quick, two quick sub points to that much larger point that I think are important to also emphasize. One is that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, which is straight from scripture, Romans chapter eight, verse one. There's no uh, indictment of our faith when we are um, fearful because we, we all at some point have, we've, we've been fearful. And, and I'm thinking especially of those who might experience fear in a more of a pathological sense. And I get that it can be difficult to determine and discern when is it pathological, when is it not. But but if and when there may be some medical intervention needed, especially for you, please don't misinterpret anything of what is shared today as being an indictment of your faith for having experienced such fear. No more than we would indict somebody who 
has a cancer diagnosis and needs to go chem get chemotherapy or somebody who's torn their ACL and now needs to go get reconstructive surgery. There wouldn't be an indictment of their faith. What I am saying, though, is that all of us can open the door to fear on some level when we forget who God is. All of us. Forgetfulness facilitates fear. And the, the fear uh, that we see in the text, that can, it will tempt us then to run. It says Elijah was afraid and then he ran. Which brings us to a second point, also from scripture. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Romans, excuse me, Proverbs 9 and 10. And so it's important to note when it's wisdom that's rooted in our reverence of, of God and when it's fear that needs to be prayed over and cast out by God's perfect love. Another way of saying that is I, I do not want you to interpret what's being shared today in such a way that you go home and say, hey, let's invite some folks over and let's have a house party. That would just be unwise. God has provided for us wisdom through our medical professionals. Let's stay home. Put on your mask. Put on your gloves. Don't have these social distancing parties. We have available wisdom to us. Let's use them. I think of Noah, for example, who, who didn't, he didn't feel the need to go jump in the ocean to say, I'm not fearful. We don't need to go home and throw parties and say, I'm not afraid of this pandemic. No, God provided Noah some wisdom. He said, stay your behind in that ark. In fact, get a dove and send that bad boy out and he'll let you know when the waters recede. Amen. Don't be unwise in an attempt to say, I'm not fearful. God, he gives us wisdom and he's giving us wisdom right now in this pandemic that we can that we can put in to practice. But in Elijah's case, this wasn't wisdom. This was fear that drove him to run for his life. And when people fall prey or give into or overwhelmed or overcome by fear, it leads them to being less able, less competent, less positive even. In other words, it can lead them to being more depressed. And when people are more depressed, we are more likely then to uh, uh, be turned over or given into temptation for further isolation. We'll, we'll withdraw or pull back from folks we might typically spend time with. And the text says that Elijah, he was afraid, he ran. He ran to Beersheba in Judah. And he, he had somebody with him at first, but it said he left his servant there. And he went and took a day's journey further into the wilderness. More isolation. Is solitude helpful at times? Absolutely. All of us can go into our secret closets shut the door, spend some time with our Heavenly Father. We could all be better for having more times of solitude. Absolutely. And there are times that solitude might exacerbate the uh, poor mental health symptoms that we are already manifesting. Now, some of us may come into this pandemic uh, perhaps not having experienced anything of related to depression or any other mental illness, but please don't tune out. The National Institutes for Mental Health, for example, tell us one in every four of us do deal with 
mental illness. World Health Organization said one in five of us will deal with at some point a mental illness. So if you don't, praise God, but don't tune out because you got a neighbor who probably does. And the more you can learn and empathize, the better you can love your neighbors well. So do not tune out. And further, in this pandemic, the space we find ourselves in, is anybody else kind of like, what do we do? How much longer can we take this? I'm doing, we are doing what we can, and it's hard. Anybody feeling a little like that? Well, in a pandemic where we are using wisdom to isolate, what before wasn't a challenge just might be yours. And so don't tune out because here we can find through scripture a way to participate well in a preventative fashion, as well as in a fashion that will support our brothers and sisters who are already managing and, and trying to make it through. And the dangerous lure of depression and other mental health illnesses is that we are literally tempted to go further like Elijah did into isolation than we already are. Said he went further into the wilderness by himself, isolating even further. And then it says the same, same guy who saw fire fall from heaven, that guy then goes and prays that he would die. Which leads us to our second point. Solitude sets up suicidality. Solitude sets up suicidality. Now, I know the suicide prevention experts would tell us that there are many triggers for suicidal ideation, and they are right. There are many triggers. We are pulling out a slice, one of which we know is isolation. But certainly the conditions, as I've referenced, of this pandemic, both the isolating nature of it as well as some of the economic fallout that many of us are, 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 are feeling in a very real sense, can lead to us to being at more risk for such suicidal ideation. But the question is, how does one get there? How does one get to that place of being so uh, alone, if you will, with our own thoughts that suicidality becomes our portion? How is it that two of my own childhood friends decided that, you know what, it's better for me to not be here than to be here? How does that happen? How does it happen that Junior Seau, life of the party, uh, all pro, NFL, everybody loves him, confident guy, go from that to feeling like I'm probably better off and my family's probably better off without me? How does it happen that megachurch pastor Jared Wilson, who, who was, was leading so many people to life in Jesus, decides he doesn't want to live life at all? How do we get there? How do we go? How does, how does Dr. Breen go from nursing people back to health and life to, to being here in our city of Charlottesville and deciding, you know what, I, I don't want to live anymore? How does that happen? And based on my understanding and what I see in scripture, all I could say is the struggle is real. The struggle is real. And I won't attempt to, to, to unpack the layers of their individual stories because there are many layers and I don't know the half. But I do know my story. And I can tell you that once upon a time, some 10 years ago, surrounded by people, but alone in my thoughts. 
and at one point thought, gosh, yeah, maybe life would be better if I wasn't living. And even now, as I reflect on that moment, I think about just how rational in that space those thoughts are. Some, some you might hear commonly stated, oh, that's just so selfish. How could they think to do that? They're not thinking of anybody else. The people they're going to leave behind, that's so selfish. And, and what I've grown to learn as a counselor in the schools for several years is that they are precisely thinking of other people. In fact, it's a very rational thought in the place that they're in to do what they go and they are going to do and, and thinking this is a selfless act. Elijah says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. He says, I'm worse than my ancestors. He believed that. You and I will hear that and, and, and say, what do, you, what do you mean? You're the worst of your... Fire fell from heaven. Bro, you brought the dead back to life. God is working through you. Are you kidding me? But he believed it. I am worse than my ancestors. Take my life. Says he laid down under a bush and went to sleep. In the good news here, text your virtual neighbor and say, there is good news. The good news is that God was there with him. The good news for you and for me is that God is here with you and he's here with me in the midst of it all. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He loves you. He loves us. And to that end, the third and final point of this message is God shows up to shake up. He sends an angel to Elijah. Now, I don't know why some wake up when the angel comes. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know why I, <clears throat> when shaken, if you will, by my own angel that I woke up and my high school friends didn't. I don't know. I won't. <clears throat> I won't try to explain that except to say I know that I'm responsible for the opportunity I now have in life to tell you that God is still there and he still loves you. And like the angel with Elijah here, he's saying, get up and eat wherever you find yourself today. Maybe maybe you don't find yourself in dire straits like Elijah. Maybe you're, you're not in the best place, though, or you sent yourself sliding down a little bit in the midst of this pandemic. There's an angel knocking on your door right now saying, get up. Get up. My angel happened to be my wife. She said, get up, Paul. Get up and pray. Get up and go see a counselor. I said, what? I am the counselor. What are you talking about? She said, yeah, you're all right. You're a good counselor. And now you need a good counselor. He said, get up. I said, hmm. God shows up to shake up. He might ask you to do some things you, you might not normally do. He might ask you to do some things that are outside of your comfort zone. But rest assured, the angel is definitely there. 
knocking on your door, just like he did Elijah, telling him, get up and eat. And sure enough, he looks around his head, to, it says, and, and there was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. For me, there was a counselor. There, there were fraternity brothers who said, hey, Paul, on a weekly basis, we're not your counselors, but we're going to just start some accountability calls. And 10 years later, we're still having them. There were some people that were bred in the word of God, bread, a jug of water in the counselors and the medical community that surrounded me. I don't know what that looks like for you, but gosh, I pray today through the Holy Spirit that as the angel knocks and says, get up, that something pricks us and, 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 and awakens us and shakes us and, and gets us up. Now, I'm not any angel, right? I'm not, I, but, but <laughs> I think it was Numbers chapter 22 where God used a donkey. And if he can use a donkey to speak some truth to, to Balaam at that time, I imagine God can show up and shake up through me here today through this screen. Get up. Get up and talk to somebody. Get up and talk to Jesus. Get up and get in a victory group. Get up and return the call of your friend who's trying to reach out. Get up. Call the hotline number that, 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 that we'll have show here in a moment. Get up. Get some telehealth, some telecounseling. Get up. Get up and eat. It says he looked around him and there was some bread right by his head. There was a jar of water right there. God shows up to shake up. And as I close and we're going a little bit beyond what we typically go today, I pray that you'll stay with us for a few more moments here. As, as I close, though, I want us to be mindful also that this is not a sprint, right? This, this, is, this is a marathon. When we talk about engaging, navigating mental health challenges, mental illness, it can be a marathon, um, which isn't to say that God can't in an instance in an instant, do what he wants to do. I believe he is able. He is more than able. He's God. He's omnipotent. He can do that, but he doesn't owe us that. Sometimes I wonder if mental illness or other sufferings in life uh, kind of threaten our faith because on some level, unconscious, consciously, or knowingly, unknowingly, we think that we're not supposed to suffer in this life. That somehow normal or what we deserve is happy and healthy. That's just not the case. It's because of his mercy and his grace that we get to, to endure and walk through some of the challenges that we have to walk through every day. Scripture says new mercies we see. God, thank you. Your death, burial, and resurrection was enough. If you did nothing more, we owe you worship. We owe you. So yes, I believe in an instant God can do that if he so chooses. And it can be a marathon. And so give yourself time. And if you're one of those I described earlier and you don't have any sort of challenges in this way, give your neighbor some time. One in four, one in five, give them time, bear with them, get down, if you will, in the hole that they might find themselves in and say, I'm not going anywhere. No matter how much you try to push me away, I know that's a manifestation of what you're dealing with and I'm here to love you through it. It's a marathon. And to that end, this pandemic is a marathon. It's not a, it's not a sprint. This is traumatic. And there's stress associated with that trauma. And as such, when we get out, when we overcome, when we get through, when this pandemic is over, there will be post. 
traumatic stress to contend with. It's a marathon. But as I close for real, <laughs> I can't help but think, God, we serve a God who has endured and overcome so much more than any marathon or any pandemic could ever bring our way. We serve a God who gave his only begotten son, told him to take on human flesh so he could feel what we felt and, and, and do so without sin. Some of us ready to cuss folk out in the midst of this pandemic. God, how are we going to do this anymore? Since Jesus took on flesh, did not sin, enduring what we endure and more. We serve a God who knows what we are going through and, and, and he endured and overcame it. Jesus died on the cross, took the cross on his shoulders, beaten and bruised and ridiculed and mocked and spit on and carried his cross to Golgotha's hill where they hung him hung him high and stretched him very wide, nail prints in his hand, pierced him in his side, dying, paying wages of sin that we committed. Oh, he knows. But on the third day, rose from that space with all power in his hand. And as he overcame, oh, the good news is we serve a God who is with us today to overcome in this space today. God, shake us up today. And if we're here and we're experiencing some mental health challenges, God, I pray that as you show up, we would we would be alert enough to see and hear the angels you send our way. To shake us up, to bring the healing that you'd want to bring to us through the means you want to bring it. And for those of us perhaps not dealing with any mental health challenges, Lord, help us be attuned to our neighbors and how we can love them best. And I'd be remiss if we didn't to just, as our eyes are closed and heads are bowed, just invite those who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who have yet to submit your will to his will, to invite you to do that now. There is never a bad day to make a great decision, ever. And so if that is you and you want to invite Jesus into your heart, you can just pray this prayer with me. Lord, thank you for loving me, for forgiving me. I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And I commit to following you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, the angels in heaven are rejoicing. They are rejoicing and we are too. Uh, and to that end, we've talked about how we need each other and we walk this thing out in community. We really do. We, we, we are just, as I said earlier on the front end, imperfect people serving a perfect God. And so as a community, we bear one another up as we cover our own blind spots and help each other grow in faith. And so we want to do that with you. If you made that decision, you can let us know in the chat. You can click the live prayer uh, button there on this platform that we are, are launching today. And we'll send you a free gift in the mail uh, that will kind of walk you through next steps. It's a neat Bible study that will just allow you to see what the foundations of the faith are. And we'd love to send that to you. Uh, free of charge as soon as you let us know that and we can connect any further with you to pray with you and to uh, to be the brothers and sisters in Christ we ought to be loving each other well as we are reconciled to God and each other amen amen um, if you desire prayer I also encourage you to uh, click that same prayer button if it's not for giving your life to Christ but more generally just to pray our prayer team is ready now to pray with you if you want to do so uh, but I also want to do something before we close I want to go to the Lord's table 
uh, and, and we do this every first Sunday of the month. Again, we've gone over a little bit uh, today, but we will take our time with this moment and ask that you join us in it as well. Uh, we want to just remember the Lord's sacrifice on the cross. And so I'm going to give a moment or two to have you grab what you have, whether it's bread or grape juice or, I don't know, Gatorade and a cracker, whatever you have. Uh, the point is to remember the sacrifice on the cross. And so I'll give a minute for you to do that and we'll, we'll start together. So communion is a celebration of the gospel. The gospel being that Jesus took on our sin, um, paid the wages for our sin, which was death, and in so doing, offering us the opportunity at eternal life. No greater love have any man than this, than to lay down his life for a friend. Jesus did that for us. And so uh, we come to this table to remember that sacrifice, to remember uh, what he did on Calvary's cross. Because it's through that work that we're saved, not by any merit of our own. We can't do it. We can't work our way somehow to salvation. It's a free gift. So by our faith, but by grace of God, we get to be saved. And so as we come to the table, 1 Corinthians uh, 11 talks about how we can do so. Firstly, it's for communion is for those who profess Jesus as Lord. And so... Uh, we invite you to join us in this moment. And even if you weren't a minute ago and now you are, join us. It's also not for the perfect. All right, we have this opportunity every single day to submit, to ask God for forgiveness every single day. 1 Corinthians 11, though, does say to examine our hearts. Don't come to this table in an unworthy manner, in an irreverent manner, not regarding the, the salvific work done on the cross. And so I want to give a moment for us to just ponder God's goodness before we go and move forward with partaking of the table. Let's take a moment and just examine our hearts. First Corinthians 11 says, after uh, he says to his disciples on uh, the night that he was betrayed, uh, it's about the latter part of verse 23, that he took bread and when he had given thanks, he said, as often as you do it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Verse 25 says, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. As we continue to meditate and ponder his goodness, Lord, we are thankful that your blood has never lost its power. Huh. That your work on Calvary gives us the opportunity at eternal life. And not just that, but you give us the opportunity to be to be saved here, to see as your Lord's prayer says, your will in heaven be done here on earth. We say thank you. We say thank you. We say thank you. And we love you. And we remember, in Jesus' name, amen. Victory fam, we love you, fam and friends, we love you.
Uh, thank you again for tuning in with us today. We pray that you join us throughout the week on our social media platforms. Uh, and we'll see you again next week. Love y'all. Let's live in victory.